Welcome to the broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. So glad to have you all here worshiping with us today on this wonderful morning. Uh, we are going to take a moment now and stand and greet each other with a pass with a passing of the peace in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, as we continue in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, let's keep standing and look together in our bulletin to join in the call to worship. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully. For the Lord is the great God and the great ruler above all gods. In God's hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights and the hills are there also. The sea is God's, for God made it. And God's hands form the dry land. Oh, come and let us worship and bow down. We are the people of God's pasture and the sheep of God's right hand. It is right that we come together to worship God this day. Once again, welcome to the broadcast of the service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church at 1627 Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. This is the 95th year of radio ministry at Grace Covenant, and today's broadcast is number 4,000. 
7. Today's date is August 26, 2018. Reverend Dr. Robert Holm Lippert is our pastor. This morning's sermon, entitled Sabbath and Healing, will be delivered by Christopher Tweel, our associate pastor for Christian education. Assisting in the service today are Christopher Martin, our director of music and organist, and soprano soloist Anne O'Brien. Our church is handicapped accessible with an elevator, wheelchairs, hearing assistance, and large print bulletins and windows. Child care is provided for infants, toddlers, and kindergartners. Worship kits are available for older children at the entrance to the sanctuary. Our opening hymn is Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, which is number 478 in the Presbyterian hymn. Continue in our worship and go to our Lord in a prayer of confession. Holy God, it is your will that we do not lay up material treasures on earth for ourselves, where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but lay up treasures in heaven instead, where neither moth nor rust can destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Your word states that our lives do not consist in the abundance of the things that we possess. Therefore, we will be aware of covetousness. Those who lay up treasure for themselves are not rich toward you. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Instead of chasing success and prosperity, our lives should center on following your son so that the legacy we leave behind is one of true wealth, not the currency of this world. Bring us closer to you, God, and hear the confessions of our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
surely we will learn and be retaught and taught a hundred times to store up our real treasure while we are here on earth so that our hearts may be with the Lord. And in that, the Lord is graceful and merciful towards us. So let us rejoice in that amazing gift of grace and mercy. all of you to be seated and we have a special time of baptism here this morning and so I'll invite Charlie and his parents and his sponsors to come up with us at this time and also any kids that want to come up front and have a closer look at the baptism you are welcome to do so also. (laughs) Come on up. Yeah, that's good. Sharing in the sacrament of baptism is an awesome and wonderful thing, and we are privileged to welcome this family together today to welcome Charlie and to baptize him this after, this, this morning. Either one. <laughs> so let us go to God in an understanding of this holy service and this time that we have together. Hear the words of Jesus Christ from the Gospel of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus Christ. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And hear also these words from Holy Scripture. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called on the hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is above all things and through all things and in all things. Whitney and Clement, trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and his power in this world? If so, say, I do. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his grace and love? If so, say, I do. And relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and to teach the faith to Charlie? If so, say, I do. And we have two sponsors here for Charlie as well, uh, Christina Engel and Chris Clay Hilbert. Christina and Clay, do you promise through prayer and example to support and encourage Charlie to be a faithful Christian? If so, say, I do. Will the congregation please stand?
Do we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide Charlie by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging him to know and follow Christ and to be a faithful member of his church? Do we? We do. Brothers and sisters, please be seated. And, and join me in prayer. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, God, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. You led Israel out of slavery through the waters of the sea into freedom of the promised land. In the waters of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. By the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. We thank you, God, for the water of baptism. In it we are buried with Christ in his death. From it we are raised to share in his resurrection. Through it we are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, we ask you send your spirit to move over this water that it may be a fountain of deliverance and rebirth. Wash away the sin of all who are cleansed by it. Raise them to new life. Graft them to the body of Christ. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon them that they may have the power to do your will and to continue forever in the risen life of Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, be all praise, honor, and glory now and forever. Amen. Charlie is ready. <laughs> all right, man. Charles Clementine, child of the covenant, wiggly child of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father. And of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Charlie, you see all these wonderful people? I think you see some familiar faces up here. And in these pews, these are the folks who care about you and love you so deeply. And they've promised, I know, <laughs> they care about you and you care about them. They've promised to raise you in the faith and teach you about our salvation that we have in Christ. And you see all these folks out here in the pews as well. And they have all stood and promised to be with you in Sunday school classes, youth groups, service opportunities, teach you in the ways of love and justice and truth that we know and in which we are redeemed in Christ. It is a wonderful day, Charlie. And it is a blessing to have you with us. And you are just a sign of God's grace in this world. And we just want to lift up thanks to God and prayer for the ways in which you are an expression of God's goodness. Let's conclude this special time together with another word of prayer. We'll join together. God, what an amazing and incredible time that you've blessed us with here today, that we, a church family and family comprised of many different ages and generations and walks of life, can come together and see this incredible new beginning here today. A beginning that says that there will never be a time when Charlie is alone in his faith, Will there will never be a time when he is unsupported without a great cloud of witness to surround him who have gone on before and who are coming up behind him. 
who will rely on his teaching and who will teach him also. Lord God, you have given us this special privilege to love this boy and to gather around him forever as a family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Chris, for that offering to us this morning. We will be reading together from 2 Samuel and John. So if you're one of those people that gets things ready, you can go ahead and get that ready before we pray. <laughs> well, let's do go to God in prayer before we enter into the hearing of word through scripture and the preaching of it. Holy God, you have brought us here today for your purposes. Your Holy Spirit is here among us at work on our hearts, on our minds, on our spirits. We ask that you open us to you, Lord, so that we may hear the things that you would have us hear, so that we can do the things that you would have us do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I said, we're looking at 2 Samuel. We're going to look at chapter 24, verses 15 through 25. I like to look at some obscure things, but you'll see how it all ties up. (laughs) Let's read together. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from that morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 of the people died, from Dan to Beersheba. But when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented concerning the evil and said to the angel who was bringing destruction among the people, It is enough. Stay now your hand. And the angel of the Lord was then by the threshing floor of Arauna the Jebusite. When David saw the angel who was destroying the people, he said to the Lord, I alone have sinned and I alone have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. So that day Gad came to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arauna, the Jebusite. Following Gad's instructions, David went up as the Lord commanded. And when Arauna looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Arauna went out and prostrated himself before the king with his face on the ground. And Arauna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, so that the plague may be averted from the people. And Arauna said to David, Well, let my lord the king take And offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arauna gives to the king. Arauna said to the king, may the Lord your God respond favorably to you. But the king said back to Arauna, no, no, I will buy them from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being. And so the Lord answered. His supplication for the land of the plague was averted from Israel. We're going to go right on through. I know we're used to repeating things. We're going to go right on through to the New Testament lesson, and we'll say thanks be to God for both of these at the end of that. Since I'm the only one reading today, help streamline it, except for the explanation. 
The New Testament reading then is from John. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. After there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there was a pool, called in Hebrew, Bethzatha, or Bethsaida, which has five porticos. And in this lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. And at once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The the man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. And they asked him, Who who is this man who said to you, Take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple. And said to him, See, you have been made well, so do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is our last Sunday together in our summer series that we've been following on Sabbath. Today we're looking at this healing story. Even though we've looked at several other healing stories that have occurred on the Sabbath, the focus today will be on the healing of sickness. Sickness is an interesting thing. Um, When I was sick growing up, there were a few things that I knew that I could expect and would even look forward to as I felt myself getting sick. Two things especially, cheese muffins and tomato soup. 
That might not sound so great, but, but there was something so comforting about these things. One made by my mom, and the other was a specialty of my dad. I have no idea why or how my mom started making these cheese muffins. The soup was my grandmother's recipe that, that she taught my father. But these cheese muffins were just an English muffin smothered in butter with just a few slices of plain old melted American cheese on top, and it was the best thing. It was so warm and comforting. My dad's Syrian tomato soup was heavy with rice and cinnamon and pepper, and they were warm and comforting. As you ate it, you could feel the restoration coming to your body. And as my uncle used to say, I feel it healing my soul. So there is maybe something still nice about being sick, especially as a kid, surely, when someone's there to take care of you. But maybe even as an adult, if you're not too sick, even if you don't have someone to come and wait on you hand and foot or bring you breakfast or tissues or a vaporizer in bed, there can be kind of a healing permission that we give ourselves when we're sick, permission to be restful, Permission to be sick, maybe that is also a certain kind of comfort that we can give ourselves. We can sit down and snuggle up and binge watch whatever we want to binge watch without any sense of guilt whatsoever. I remember as a kid, I would sit down in my warm blankets, the spicy soup and the crisp cheese toast in front of me, and I was just there with a book happy and content and warm and having my own wonderful Sabbath moment. Yet being sick can also be very isolating. We have a child development center here, as many of you know, at the church, and every time the CDC, which is what we shorten it to, has an outbreak of hand, foot, and mouth virus or something else, they have to post a sign on the door from the parking lot, and I think this other door too, to let parents know that this is happening and that their children might be susceptible and which classrooms it's happening in. But of course, the staff coming into the church read it as well, and every time I look at it, I run through my mental checklist about the things that I can do somewhere else that morning (laughs) just to escape the plague-ridden halls of the church to evacuate to a coffee shop or something. But usually we come inside instead, and oh, woe be unto you if one of those notes is posted on a morning when you're going to have chapel with the kids. Usually Mr. Martin and one of the one of the pastors will come out and we'll do chapel with this huge bunch of kids here in the sanctuary, and there are always hugs at the end of that. And when you see one of those notices on the board, you're giving those hugs and you're just thinking in the back of your head, I'm just going to carry this home with me and we're all going to be sick for a week. So there is something isolating about being sick. We have friends uh, here in the city who always warn us away when their kids are coming down with something. If we have a meal planned together or an outing at the park, oh, We're really sick right now. We just want to let you know you might not want to be around us. We isolate when we're sick. When we're adults and we get sick, we do that for ourselves. If it's real bad, we don't want to get anyone else sick. We close ourselves off in a room. We stay at home. 
or we just have a self-imposed quarantine. It's the total flip almost in a lot of ways of the fun parts of how it is to be a, a kid who's sick when we're young. Sometimes it's depressing and tedious as an adult, and there have been several occasions when we get really sick. If we get sick enough to end up in the hospital, there have been several occasions when I've been out on visits. Folks have commented to me about the loneliness that comes with being in the hospital, even though they're surrounded by this great gaggle of people. Hardly you can get a moment's peace to shut your eyes for more than 20 minutes at a time before some other nurse or something comes in to check But there is still, in the midst of all that hurriedness, a loneliness that accompanies it as well. So what's interesting to me about the story from the gospel that we read this morning is this point where the man is sitting by the pool. And it's easy to overlook if we read it too quickly, but it factors into a very large part of the meaning of this scripture. In verse 5 from John, where we read, there begins a conversation between Jesus and the man. And you have to pick that up because it says, after knowing that he had been there for some time. Well, the way that we know things is by talking to each other. So Jesus had come over and had a conversation with the guy that covered at the very least how long he had been there. 38 years he had been by the water. Jesus finally asks the question, which seems very normal, having read other stories about Jesus. We expect it from Jesus. He says, finally, do you want to be healed? And we don't get the answer that we expect to get. The answer in a lot of other places in Scripture is, yes, Lord, heal me. I throw myself, I reach out for the hem of your cloak, I, you know, I'm here and, you know, the eyes and the whole thing. That's the answer we usually get. But that's not the answer we get here. And I love, I love this answer, not only because of the way that it factors into this particular story from Scripture, but also because it is total sarcasm. And we know this. Not only because the Greeks, who are the ones making all the movies and all the media in Jesus' time, we know that there are Romans who are playing Greek plays and Greek tragedies and comedies, especially, there in occupied Israel. We also know that sarcasm is something from the Old Testament. If you think back, this is a deep part of the Jewish understanding of being able to communicate stories and faith, sarcasm and comedy and things factor in very heavily. Sarcasm in particular, if you remember the very famous story of Elijah standing on the mount with the prophets of Baal. Remember this story? There are two offerings being given up. The prophets of Baal are sitting over here, and he says, you guys go ahead and chant first. And whoever's God lights the pyres of offering that's the real God. He says, no, no, please go ahead. So they go and they chant and they do it. And the scripture goes on and says how tired they are and they do it all day and it's hours and hours go by. And the sarcasm piece is Elijah who stands over there and says, 
Maybe you guys should pray louder. Maybe your God is asleep. Total sarcasm. So there are other points in the Bible where this is a deep part of how the Jewish folks are exchanging stories with each other and how they communicate with each other, and that's what happens here. We know prior to this, Jesus has had a conversation with this man. He knows that he's been there a long time. He knows that he's been there for 38 years, and he asks him, do you want to be healed? When I reimagine this in my head to, you know, bring it uh, into contemporary vernacular, uh, I, I play it out like this, complete with a, a British accent. Look, my lord, didn't you hear me say that I've been here for 38 years? Do you see anyone around who's going to carry me down to the water? Yeah, I try to get down there, but some other geezer always gets ahead of me. Big surprise, and he gets healed instead. Do I want to be healed? Are you having a laugh? That's the tone of this man. He is saying, yeah, I want to be healed. I've been here for 38 years. What do you think? Do you think I'd still be sitting by the water if I didn't want to be healed? What's even better is that Jesus accepts this answer. There are lots of times in a lot of other scriptures where Jesus pushes people and he even asks Peter three times, do you love me? But to this response, Jesus is okay with it. In the original Greek, the response is still sarcastic. And Jesus heals him. When I reimagine this, I can only picture Jesus chuckling and saying, yeah, okay, I get it. Of course you want to be healed. Well, if you want to be healed, go ahead. Take off your mat, take up your mat and walk. Now, there's another interesting thing that's going on through this. Because the man says in this sarcastic rant, I have no one to help me into the pool. This means that over a course of 38 years, no one has been by to help this man. No one has picked him up and carried him ahead of the others who are trying to get to the pool. Not a family member, not a friend, not someone he grew up with in the synagogue. No one. This is the isolation of his illness. Year after year, month after month, cut off, isolated, alone. The Jewish people are a community-oriented people. They have an understanding that they are the people of God together. The only ones who are cut off from that family are the ones who under the Torah are not following the law. Those that exist outside of the community those that suffer the total loss of their identity. Perhaps we can commiserate those of us who either have gone through chronic illness or know someone who has struggled through. 
So when Jesus heals him, he literally jumps at the chance to get out of there and goes on his merry way. Which is another interesting part of this story. We find out that this guy had no idea who Jesus was. So apparently, not only are you allowed to joke with Jesus, but you don't have to know who Jesus is in order to receive healing. This feels strange. Later, the religious police, they don't know who this guy is, uh, even though he's been at the pool for 38 years. Uh, The real uh, uh, thing that they are asking him, is not, hey, I'm amazed that you're walking around after three decades by the pool, because they don't know him, a testament to the isolation that he's been suffering. But they're also only concerned about the mat carrying. That's what they see, that's what they focus in on. They're not saying, my gosh, look at this guy, 38 years, now he's walking around, what's going on, who did this, what's happening? They said, hey, hey, now, you know, you're not allowed to carry your mat with you on Sunday, on, on the Sabbath, you need to... You need to not do that. That's wrong. You need to go home and atone and wash and whatever. It's a whole separate sermon on missing miracles and that. But this is another serious moment for the healed man. Because what happens in the story is that they have connected. They don't know yet. But they have connected the healing that he has received with Sabbath law. And there's something inside him that clicks and says, Oh, no, 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 no. I've just been brought back into the community. I am healed. I can now enter back into the fellowship of God's people. But if they know that I was healed on the Sabbath, and that's why I'm carrying my mat, then I'll be returned to the outside place. Because you can't have that. You can't have somebody who was healed, who was broken, and who broke the law to be healed. You can't have them walking around as part of the blessed body. So, he does something that maybe a lot of us would do. He throws Jesus completely under the bus. <laughs> he says, wait, 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 listen, I'm just, I'm just carrying the mat because uh, the guy, the other guy that healed me, he told me to carry the mat. I didn't choose to do this. It's this, uh, it's this other fellow. And it's wonderful because they say, really? Healing on the Sabbath? Very interesting. Tell us more. Who was this person? And he says, I don't know. So that brings us to another odd layer of this. Why did Jesus do this on the Sabbath? Why? Here we have this person who was sitting there for 38 years. What's another day? He could have gone over, had a conversation with the guy, found out that he'd been there for 38 years. My gosh, 38 years, that's a long time. We need to heal you. And I have the power to do so because that's who I am. But we're going to wait till tomorrow so you don't get in trouble. Don't worry about it. He could have even sat with him just until sundown. Just wait until sundown, Jesus. Then the Sabbath is officially over. Just wait till that evening. Maybe bring the guy a little supper and everything will be okay. And then add to that another layer 
where Jesus is the one, the guy's right, Jesus is the one that says, take up your mat. Another violation of the Sabbath. Not only a violation of the Sabbath, but a violation of the Sabbath that is very easy to see. If someone's walking around carrying a book, you can see it. Can you imagine a mat? Carrying a whole mat? Like, where are you going, Bob? You going to yoga? No, I'm just carrying my mat. It was a visual marker of rejecting the Sabbath law that the guy didn't necessarily need to do. He could have just said, you know what, just leave your mat, just go home. Nobody's going to recognize you because you're walking around. It'll be fine. Come back tomorrow. But he didn't. Jesus says, pick up your mat and go. And I don't blame the guy at all because the guy's like, oh my gosh, I'm being healed. This is happening. He gathers up his mat and he heads out. 38 years he was in isolation. He does things, Jesus does, that cause trouble, that make waves, and are totally unnecessary, and that is the point. Has to be. Why else would Jesus choose to do this? Jesus sets it up so that when he sees the man again later, Scripture is pointedly telling us that Jesus sees the man in the temple, which means that the man has gone to rejoin the worshiping body of believers. The man has rejoined the family and is part of the covenant again. And Jesus says, "Ah, you see, you're healed. You're healed because here you are, worshiping with the family You're part of the group again. You were ostracized, you were outside, you were isolated in your sickness, and now you're here. But also, stop sinning, and now sin in this case is the unbelief. The man doesn't or hasn't known Jesus this whole time. That's the sin. The sin is not being able to see that Jesus is God's Son. The sin is not being able to believe and know who Jesus is. This isn't, don't make a mistake here, this isn't Jesus threatening this guy, hanging the sword of Damocles over his head, saying, no, 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 don't mess up or else. It's a statement of truth. You were healed. You can't go back to what and who you used to be because that would be a terrible thing. That would be a crying shame. That would be a sin. The point for Jesus is the new thing. The fresh wine that is coming that cannot be held in the old wineskin. This is who Jesus is. Jesus does not have a part of the old system that can be allowed to permeate the new way. If Jesus had just waited till the Sabbath was over, or if he had just healed the man and told him to leave his mat, the statement would have been that some parts of the old system were still going to work in the new kingdom that was coming to fruition through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And the fact is, that's not true trying to elide the old system of understanding and oppression in light of the new world that Jesus is creating wasn't going to work. To try and do that would be sin. 
and would be that worst thing that Jesus talks about to the man he healed. So now our reading from the Old Testament. It starts out with people dying. That's always a great way to start a Bible reading on a, a church morning. Start out with many thousands of people being put to death. This is actually a story of healing. Healing the people that have been punished for David's sin. David's sin was that David couldn't trust God and went out and counted the troops that he had to make sure that he was strong enough to do what he thought the army needed to do, directly disobeying God. So God corrects this behavior with punishment and receives a costly sacrifice from David as payment for his lack of trust and for his failure as a leader. That world and that understanding of God won't work in the new kingdom that Christ is building. Jesus Christ doesn't require anything from the man that he heals by the water that day. He doesn't even require the man to know his name, apparently, or have a basic understanding of his station as a rabbi or a prophet or the son of God, since the healed man just refers to Jesus simply as the man. The person he healed could have said the rabbi, could have said the teacher, could have said that man, Jesus, could have said the one from Nazareth, but he didn't know. So he couldn't say it. There is no prior criteria. There's no sacrificial requirement. There is only healing. And a strong warning about the path that leads to life and the path that leads to death. Jesus isn't making it easy on people to believe and is going about the work of reshaping this corrupted faith system that these folks in Jerusalem have without leaving them a way out. Jesus even doubles down on the Jewish authority when they come to talk to him in a great, great scene. They come to him about his transgression, about healing on the Sabbath. Now, surely, maybe other people have been healed on the Sabbath. Maybe that's why they had a rule against it. Maybe that's why they had conversations about it. But they came for this, probably, I don't know, mid-level offense, right? Because we started down here with the mat. It was like, hey, don't walk around with your mat. You know better than that. That's, that's work. You're not allowed to do work. And then they said, no, I was healed. I said, oh, healing? Well, that's, that's even worse. Well, who, who was this? And then they finally find out it was Jesus. And they go to Jesus and they say, hey, don't. Don't heal people on the Sabbath. We're serious. You know that. That's what, that's what the rules say. And Jesus doubles down. He says, no, not only did I heal on the Sabbath, but I healed on the Sabbath because God's my dad and I'm the son of God. Whew. Oh, man. Now it's real bad. Because Jesus isn't leaving them a comfortable way out. There's no way to put these two systems together. Jesus cites that God and Jesus both work on the Sabbath because of who they are. And it's only later in John that Jesus specifies what that work is. Because this isn't just Jesus having a flip 
understanding of what Sabbath is or going back on other things that the Bible has said about Sabbath or giving us an excuse to be like, ah, see, there, God said that we could go and work on the Sabbath day, so I'm going to go work and I'm going to go do things and be busy. In the next chapter of John, Jesus says that the work of God is to believe in the one that God has sent. The same thing that he was telling the healed man at the temple. That's the real work of the Sabbath. The expression of our belief in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is truly God incarnate, to be believed and be believed in, to be sought after, to be heard, to be understood, regardless of if the message is hard on us to hear, because we, like the Jewish authority, take issue with an aspect of Jesus' teachings or, or, or find a way that it is manifested and required us to do something new, and we want to shove that into our old understanding of how our lives used to be. But beware of the God that likes to double down. Oh, you thought that that was a tough concept last week that really shook you and, and made you have a different worldview and understanding of who Jesus is? Oh, just wait till next week. The centrality of celebrating the Sabbath then becomes our expression and our understanding of who God is through Jesus Christ. And that frees us to do a lot of different things. If spending time in worship is an expression of how you understand God to be through Jesus Christ, do that. If you want to play with your family because you recognize that God has blessed you with these folks in your life and you really want to resonate and be with them, we'll do that. If you want to truly rest as, a, as an expression of thanksgiving or all these other things that we've been talking about this whole summer, do that. If you want to study, if you want to volunteer, pray, heal. If there are aspects of your work, your job, the thing that creates an income and provision for your family, if you feel that that is an expression of who God is in your life and the truth about Jesus Christ, then do that. Pastors very often work on the Sabbath. I don't know if you all realize that or not. But it's an expression of our understanding of who Jesus is. And we are able to do all of this. We are able to celebrate the Sabbath. We are able to look at the Sabbath. We are able to experience this Sabbath because we have been healed from our spiritual ailment of wrongness. The isolation in our souls has been broken by grace. And we are able to truly and more fully understand what the Sabbath holds for us each week. The way forward out of sickness is only had together so that no one can say, I have no one to bring me to the water. We are healed on the Sabbath, on any day, so that we may know and believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Amen.
Let's stand and sing. You are listening to the broadcast of a worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. You have just heard this morning's sermon entitled Sabbath and Healing, which was delivered by Christopher Tweel, our Associate Pastor for Christian Education. The congregation will now join in singing There is a Balm in Gilead, which is number 394 in the Presbyterian Hymn. Begin to sign off for this morning's worship service. Just a reminder that next Sunday will be the final Sunday where we have our earlier start time for worship in the sanctuary, 10 a.m. Uh, the radio broadcast will continue to be at 11 a.m. as usual. For the past hour, you have been listening to the worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Also assisting in the service today was Reverend Dr. Nelson Reevely our parish associate for outreach and adult discipleship. Please join us again next Sunday through our radio ministry or in our sanctuary at 1627 Monument Avenue. Your announcer today has been John Harris, and the engineers were Cameron Baird and Reagan McCullough. This service streams live and can be accessed through the Grace Covenant website, which is grace-covenant.org. We now return you to Christian Talk Radio on WLES 590 AM and 97.7 FM. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. 